thankful to be with you uh, this morning and to be able to have this uh, service together as we prepare to uh, observe the Lord's Supper. And so um, what I want to do for, uh, for the message this morning is I want to, um, to point out, to remind us, to kind of stir our hearts to the reality that um, as we enter into and we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, there are really um, three activities that are going to take place as we um, participate uh, in this uh, ordinance this morning. Three activities that are going to take place. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. You've been here for a while, then you know this. It's good for our hearts to be stirred up and to uh, be reminded of this. And uh, and if you haven't, maybe maybe these aren't things that uh, you've already already known, but what's, what's important as we come together, not just on this Sunday, but any Sunday, is that we don't just come together to uh, go through some sort of a rote, lifeless ceremony. Right? I mean, it's possible for us to, to come and to, to sing and preach, break some bread, drink some wine, wash feet, and do all of that just out of habit. All of that just because that's what we do three times a year at the Lord's Supper. Or that's what we do once a week on Sundays. And so the goal for this morning and and the message is to, to again, try to focus our hearts, focus our minds on what exactly is going on as we come together And as we celebrate or have this memorial that the Lord has given us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in uh, verse 23 and read through verse 26. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, verse 26 gives us a hint as to uh, one of the things that we're doing, one of the activities that is taking place as we gather together to to take the Lord's Supper. It says in verse 26, as often as you do this, that is, eat the bread and drink of this cup, you do show the Lord's death until He come. The word show there is the word that means uh, to proclaim, to preach, to teach. So as we break the bread and as the bread is passed and as you eat that bread, Paul says you're preaching a sermon. 
You're teaching something. As you take that wine and you drink that wine, Paul says you're proclaiming something. Well, we put this just in general terms. What we're doing this morning as we gather together to observe the Lord's Supper, the first thing we're doing is we are proclaiming our faith. We are proclaiming our faith. Number one, in verses 11 through, I'm sorry, in verses 23 and 24, he says, I've received that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We're proclaiming our communion with the broken body of Jesus Christ. Communion is a word that just simply means fellowship, joint participation. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 that he was crucified with Christ. That is, when Christ hung on that tree, he was there with him. He was in Christ and the affliction, the wrath of God that Christ endured on the cross. was done on Paul's behalf, and it was as if Paul was right there with him. And so we're saying, we're proclaiming that we have communion with the body of Christ. What does that mean, really, whenever we think about it? Go to a couple of passages and try to flesh it out a little bit. Look in 1 Peter Chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. He's speaking of Jesus Christ here in verse 24 when he says, Who, that is Jesus, who when he was, I'm sorry, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. What are we proclaiming as we come together and as we break the bread and as we eat the bread? Well, we're saying that we believe that the body of Christ was broken on our behalf. We're saying that we believe that it was our sin that was placed upon Him and that the wrath of God that was due to us fell upon Him in our stead. He bore our sins. How? in his own body on the tree. In his own body on the tree. He, he makes 
reference here at the end of verse 24, by whose stripes are we healed? He, he takes our minds back to Isaiah 53. This portion of Scripture that points forward to the suffering servant when in verse um, 5, Isaiah says, He was wounded for our transgressions. In, in what way? In what way? Well, in His body. Right? In His body. It's necessary for us to proclaim faith in a Savior who was God incarnate, who took upon Himself flesh and blood so that He might identify with His people. So that He might be able to offer Himself up an acceptable sacrifice to God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. What are we proclaiming as we say that? Well, we're saying that everything that needed to happen did happen as God poured out His wrath on the person, Jesus Christ, so that the forgiveness of our sin is secured so that the atonement, which we'll talk about as far as the blood of Christ that's shed for us, but we're, we separate these things in communion, but really we're, we're talking about the same thing here. Both of these things go together so that the atonement, that is the, uh, the uh, at-one-ment, being reconciled with God, being, becoming at-one, at-peace with God, happens as Christ freely gives Himself up to the Father for us on the tree. And so as we look for and look to the cross of Christ for our assurance of God's love, we look there and we look nowhere else. It was His body that endured the stripes, that healed us. Now, Isaiah 53.10 says that it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Okay, we're here to proclaim that this morning. The word there that's translated bruised, if you look back in the Hebrew, it it's literally the word for crush. It pleased the Lord to crush His Son. And then it says, in that same verse, He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he, that is Christ, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
pleases the Lord to crush him. And as Christ is being crushed, it says, we shall see his seed. There's a reference to this in Hebrews chapter 10. This is language that we could easily gloss over and miss. But it's language that also takes us back to what Paul says when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. Starting in verse 10, it says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, For it became Him for whom all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church I will sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage being said here? Well, he begins by talking about the captain of our salvation who are bringing many sons to glory. Verse 10, he beginning to paint this picture of a, a union between Christ and his people. It's the same union, I think, that's being referred to in Isaiah 53, verse 10, when he talks about the fact that he sees his seed, prolongs his day. It pleases the Lord to crush his son, and we could also say it this way, it pleases the son to be crushed by the father. Why? Well, we could go back to last Sunday's message. Because it's his meat to do the will of the father. It was for this very purpose that he was born into the world. That he might take the sin of his people and the penalty for the sin of his people upon himself. And that he might quench the wrath of God once and for all. For those whom the Father had given him. And so it says, verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are one. One and the same. How is, that, how is that possible? Well, we think back to passages like Ephesians 1.4 that we've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is, we were placed in Him so that whenever He went and gave Himself up freely on the cross when He endured the wrath of God freely, He secured not only our justification, but our sanctification and our glorification. 
And whenever he said it is finished, everything that had to be done was done right there in that moment in time so that his people, as the passage goes on, have no reason to live in bondage to the fear of death because Christ has overcome death. He's overcome the grave. He's conquered sin. And we have been made one with Him. Brothers and sisters, as we break the bread this morning, we're proclaiming faith in this reality that when Christ's body was broken, it was broken for me. Secondly, back in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, it says, And after the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we take this bread and we break it, we're proclaiming that we are putting our faith, our trust in the reality that when Christ endured the wrath of God, that He did that for me. And we're also proclaiming that when Christ's blood was shed, that it was the seal of the new covenant. That we are secure. And that again, our hopes are in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We do not come to God and we do not come to the table this morning saying we're thankful for the cross of Christ, we're thankful that His body was broken and we're thankful that His blood was shed because it gave us a good head start. But Lord, we're taking the supper today because we've taken what You've started and we've built upon it something that You would be proud of in and of ourselves. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying... That Father, based upon our own performance in our own merits, we come to worthily take the bread and the wine. We don't say that. If we do say that, we take the cup and we take the bread unworthily. That's not what this is saying. What we're saying is, Father, for my past sins my present failures, and my future failures. I place all of that under the blood of Christ. And I come to you freely with confidence that I have a sympathetic high priest who makes intercession for me and through His grace and mercy has just the right help that I need in the time that I need it. And so I can freely come to you through Him anytime I want. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, that is, you were not bought out of the slave market of sin with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. That is, you weren't, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, and you certainly weren't redeemed with vain things like your manner of life that you received from your fathers or your family. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, by whom, uh, I'm sorry, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So again, here's what we're saying. We're saying that our faith is in the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was without blemish. That is, we're here this morning, we'll talk about later, the, there's a celebration that's happening, but we're here this morning to proclaim that when Scripture says that He was undefiled, that he was sinless, that he lived a perfect life that we could have never lived, we're saying, Amen. I believe that. I don't believe it just in the sense of saying, Sounds good. I believe it in the sense of saying, I'm staking my entire eternity on the fact that Christ lived a blameless life. And my hope is in my faith is in the fact that His righteousness has been imputed to my account. So that whenever I come to the Father under the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He sees me as if I never sinned. He sees me as if I always did the things that I should have done. He sees me as if I never did the things that I shouldn't have done. It's perfection. Hard to believe that, really, isn't it? Especially whenever we look at our own performance. Whenever we look at our own shortcomings. Whenever we look at the uh, constant battle with sin. The constant assault of temptation. But the reality is, our proclamation of faith this morning is that in order for God the Father to be dissatisfied with me, He must first become dissatisfied with His Son. And that's impossible. So we're proclaiming our faith. Our faith in the body of Christ that hung upon the cross our faith in the blood of Christ that was the seal of the New Testament that we are covered in and covered with 
so that we stand before the Father without blemish. Secondly, we come this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper to renew our commitment. Okay, it's a renewal of a commitment. Go back to First uh, Corinthians eleven. Verses 27 uh, to 31. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Okay, we're, we're renewing a commitment. And, and according to this passage, this commitment is being renewed through two different exercises. Number one... Out of verse 28, it says, let a man examine himself. Okay, that's self-examination. Okay, so we have come to this place to where we're at the Lord's table because of the initial proclamation of faith that we've made in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross on our behalf. We come here to celebrate that. We come here to say that I have given myself to the one who has purchased me with his blood. And so Paul says there needs to be some self-examination. In other words, don't just go through the exercise of taking the Lord's Supper just to do it. It shouldn't be a mindless thing. Your faculties should be intact when you do this. And so take a look. Take a look at your life. Take a look at your heart. Self-examination. There's also a call to some self-evaluation. Okay? Self-examination is really just what's been going on in my life. Is my life consistent with my profession? The search for consistency comes through this evaluation. Right, verse 31, if we would judge, that is, if we would discern ourselves, we would not be judged or discerned or disciplined. But when we are disciplined, verse 32, we're chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Some self-examination, some self-evaluation. Have you professed faith in Christ? Have you made a public proclamation that you've united with Him, that you're a follower of Him, then you ought to take a little bit of time and examine whether or not your life reflects that reality. Now the question is, why? 
Why would we do this? Well, for the Christian, self-examination and self-evaluation is never for the purpose of self-satisfaction. That's never the purpose. So whenever Paul is talking to the Corinthians and saying, you need to examine yourself and you ought to evaluate yourself, he does not have in mind that the ideal gathering of the Lord's Supper would be people who come self-satisfied so that they can go through the motions. And so since this is the case, since this exercise of self-examination, self-evaluation is never meant to leave you satisfied with yourself, if you have any self-awareness, if you have any measure of eyes to see when you look inward, you will always be vexed at what you find. You will always be disappointed at what you find. There's always more sin to uncover. So what's the purpose? Well, self-examination and self-evaluation should lead us back to the cross, shouldn't it? I'm still in need of what I needed from the very beginning. Indwelling sin is still a reality in my heart and life, and so I want to confess that sin. And then I want to embrace the promise that Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The commitment that we're renewing as we look inward, I think the commitment that they're being called to here in 1 Corinthians, the abuse of the Lord's Supper that Paul addresses here is number one, it had completely lost its original intent. They were getting together as gluttons and drunkards and calling it the Lord's Supper. And in doing that, they were completely missing out on the whole reality that we're to gather together as a body to recommit ourselves to leaning on and trusting in Christ and Christ alone. But you know, Satan knows how to take a good thing and distort it, doesn't he? Satan would have you to think that what you're committing yourself to is to live your life in such a way that makes our mediator, our advocate, our brother, our sympathetic helper, proud of our performance, but completely irrelevant to our needs. You know what I mean when I say that? Sometimes people think that this self-evaluation that's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is, am I living up to the standard of holiness that is required to partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, what's the prerequisite? That you would see your need of Him. 
That's the prerequisite. We're not coming to parade our fruits of righteousness. We're not coming to the table to proclaim our holiness. We're coming to say, Lord, we're just as much in need of You today as we've ever been. What measure of growth You've blessed us to achieve in our life has been achieved on the basis of Your work, Your blood, Your sacrifice. So we don't come here and partake of the Lord's Supper so that we could somehow put our righteousness on display. So that we could come out, so that we could somehow say, Lord, you'll be proud of the way that I've lived for the last several months. We come here and we say, all the good that we've done, left to ourselves, is little more than filthy rags. It's disgusting to you. But in Christ, it's precious. You receive it as something that's acceptable, beautiful in your sight. And so we're renewing our commitment in Galatians 6.14 that we would not glory in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. That that would be where our heart stays. That would be where our confidence lies. We're coming to recommit ourselves, a renewed commitment that when we sin, we will not forget about our advocate. We will not forget about the mediator who stands ready to forgive and to cleanse. The question is not, are you going to sin? The question is, what are you going to do when you sin? And when we take the Lord's Supper, we say, I have a rich, almighty friend. John Newton said it right. I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. And so we're renewing our commitment to how we deal with our sin. That is, taking it, confessing it to Christ, turning from it, turning to Him in repentance. And then, we're also, as we enter into this service, we're renewing our commitment to serve one another. There's, there's two aspects to this thing we call communion, and they're inseparable. The first one is what we've referred to um, already. We've been united to Jesus Christ. That is, our fellowship is with Him. We are in joint participation with the redemption that He secured on our behalf. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being sanctified by His grace. We've been united with Christ as individuals. And corporately, we've been united to one another. 
And so as we come together and proclaim our faith in these realities, and as we renew our commitment in these realities, there's a reason why we do this as a body. And it's because Christ has not just saved you and left you to yourself. He has saved you and placed you in a body. Now, here's the other thing. One of the reasons why he's done that. Think about the, the, the one explicit, direct command do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right? That's the one we go to when we say, you need to get yourself to church. Right? Why? So that you can consider one another to stir up unto love and to good works. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded We need to be encouraged. We need to be stirred up at times. That what we're affirming today is true. And we do that together. Because that's God's design. No one here is an island unto themselves. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We've been called as a body. And so as we observe, as we enter into uh, the Lord's Supper, there is a sense in which it is a solemn occasion. But there's also a sense in which it is a corporate celebration. We take and we eat the bread together. We take and we drink the wine together. We, we uh, break and, and, and we wash one another's feet as a symbol of our commitment to serving one another. And we do that together. And you know, during that time, there's always some chatter and that's fine. I always encourage you to make sure that that chatter is not just mindless, silly, frivolous, whatever. But there ought to be some talking going on. There ought to be some laughing going on. There ought to be some hugging going on. It shouldn't be some sort of a uh, of a of a solemn, um, formal, uh, emotionless practice. We love each other, and we shouldn't apologize for that. We shouldn't pretend like we don't. We're celebrating the fact that God has united us to one another because we have been united in Christ and God in His providence has handpicked each member of this church to contribute to the sanctification of every other member. We shouldn't be stoic about that. We should celebrate that reality. But I'll also say this. What happened on Channel 5 News doesn't come close to the level of importance of that reality. That's why when we're washing each other's feet, we shouldn't be talking about this, that, and the other. 
we should be focused on what Christ wants our hearts to be focused on, and that is, I've given you to each other that you might serve, stir up, edify, bless. And we celebrate that. So number one, we're proclaiming our faith. Number two, we're renewing our commitment. And what I just said transitions nicely into the last thing. We're celebrating relationships. We're celebrating relationships. We're celebrating, number one, that through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been brought into relationship with the Holy Trinity. You've been brought back. We, we, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 earlier. You've, you've been returned to the shepherd, to the overseer of your soul. Through the work of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are now walking in relationship with God the Father. We celebrate that. Okay, there's, there's some sobriety that goes along with that. That's not a flippant thing. But brothers and sisters, it's also a praiseworthy thing. We rejoice that this is the case. We rejoice in the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? We rejoice in the reality that we have been brought into an inseparable loving relationship with God through the work of His Son and the power of His Spirit. Nothing can separate you from the love of God if you're in Christ. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? Okay. So, so we, 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 we do contemplate. We, do, um, uh, we don't want to distract... But there's more than one emotion that ought to be going on in a service like this. Is there conviction? Sure. But you know, sometimes, just out of sentimentality's sake, there are some people that get into the habit of thinking that they haven't really entered into the Lord's Supper if they're not weeping, if they're not crying, if they're not consumed with how unworthy they are. Well, I would say if that's where you stay, you haven't entered into the Lord's Supper to begin with. The Lord's Supper assumes you are unworthy to begin with. We're not here to celebrate our worthiness. We're, we're here to exalt the worthiness of Jesus Christ. The fact that He is worthy. And that through His merits, we've gained access into the throne room of Christ, or throne room of God through our mediator Christ. And so we celebrate that relationship. Shed tears for your sin? Sure. But for every tear you shed, there ought to be a thousand hallelujahs for the work of Christ on your behalf. Christians aren't Eeyores. We celebrate what Christ has done. We may weep for our sin, but we don't stay there. We rejoice in the work of grace that's been done on our behalf. So we celebrate the fact that through Christ, we've been brought into relationship with the Trinity and then we also celebrate 
that through the work of Christ, we have been brought into relationship with one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, verse 16, says, The cup of the blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. You see, the language here is corporate language. Here's what I mean. When we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, okay, let's just use me. When I I eat the bread... I'm not just communicating that I, as a solo person, have communion with Christ. The reason we do it together is because each individual is communicating that we, our communion, our fellowship, is based on the fact that we have participation and we have partaken of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the basis of our fellowship. We can, we can have all kinds of different interests. We can have all kinds of different um, um, hobbies and preferences and so forth and so on. And as we come together this morning, we have very different people with very different um, walks of life and very different preferences and so forth and so on. And that doesn't change the fact that as we take the wine and as we take the bread, we together have fellowship with one another because we together have been brought into communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, as we move forward into this service, we're proclaiming our faith. We're renewing our commitment. And we are celebrating the relationships that we have been brought into because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these realities. Uh, Lord, we thank You that you have, um, you have accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished on our behalf through Your Son, Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, but became sin for us, so that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God through Him. Father, I pray that as we move forward, as we break the bread, as we drink the wine, that our hearts would bear witness with the symbolic representation of these elements and that we would be stirred in our faith 
and in our confidence that we rest in Christ and Christ alone and that you've placed us in this body that we might stir one another up unto love and to good works. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.